This morning I ask you this question. What is your greatest fear? What is your greatest fear? Are you afraid of snakes or spiders? Are you afraid of taking risks or afraid of failure? Are you afraid of heights or what lies beneath the ocean's surface? Are you afraid of being alone or are you afraid the dark, or afraid of flying? Are you afraid of COVID-19? Or are you afraid of being vaccinated? Are you afraid of dying? Or even more importantly, are you afraid of God? You see, the truth is, is that everyone has fears, whether or not they choose to admit them to others. And I find that fears can paralyze us but they can also keep us safe. Let me say that again. I find that fears can either paralyze us or that they can also keep us safe. You see, when I was a child, I wasn't afraid of a whole lot. In fact, I I had a BMX dirt bike that I rode around all the time. And where we lived at the time, we had this huge hill, and my friends and I decided to make a jump at the bottom of that hill, and we would go as fast as we could on our bikes, and we would hit that jump and catch big air, and I mean we would soar, sometimes into the woods. And I didn't care at all if I landed it or if I crashed it, and nine times out of ten I crashed, and I could have gotten really hurt, but I wasn't scared at all. But if you were to ask me today at the age of 42 to hop on that same bike and to do the same thing, I would tell you you are crazy that I would never do that in this lifetime. Because I know that if I did that today, I probably would break every bone in my body. It would not be wise and it certainly wouldn't be safe for me to do that. Yet at the same time, sometimes when we refuse to do things out of fear, it can also limit good things for us. You know what I'm talking about? So my wife and I, we bought a a travel trailer a couple of months ago. I listened to a couple people in this congregation, um, uh, Jeff Brandon and Gary Moss, not to name anybody, uh, about potentially doing such things because they were doing that and we were interested in doing that. And uh, so we bought one, and just a few weeks ago, we took it out for the very first time. Now, I have never done this before. I've been tent camping, and it's a lot easier to carry a tent in your vehicle than it is to carry a camper on the back of your car. And um, so we purchased this, and we took it very far out, all the way out to Todd. (laughs) Because I'm no fool. (laughs) Because if something goes wrong, I'm calling Gary, or I'm calling Jeff, and I'm saying, Houston, we have a problem. You need to come give us a hand. So we took it to Todd, and everything went very smoothly, thank God, and we had a wonderful time, and we look forward to taking it out more and, and doing it some more together, but, but I have to tell you that I was afraid to get it. You know why I was afraid to get it? Because I can't back up a trailer. When I told my father that I had purchased a camper, he started laughing. He said, who's going to back it up for you? Do you need me to come do that for you? You see, what you don't know is the only time I ever tried to do that was when he had a fishing boat, and we went down to Kerscott Lake together, and my brother, and he got out and into the the boat, and he said, just back the trailer down for me, 
and, um, and, and, you know, this is what you do. It's not hard, blah, blah, blah. Well, I tried to do that, and I tried to do that, and I tried to do that, and then this long line of people came up, and they were getting very impatient that I didn't know what I was doing. And finally, I had to yell at my father and say, I need you to hop in here and do this because these people are getting mad. It's the only time I ever backed up a trailer. Well, those trailers are small compared to a 25-and-a-half-foot camper. But we bought it, and I figured out how to do it. And if I hadn't have bought, I never would have enjoyed the joy of being able to do that with our family. Sometimes our fears can prevent us from doing good things and experiencing joy. I find that fear is sort of a paradox, really. It can paralyze us, or it can prevent us from doing things that are really good for us, or fear itself can help keep us safe. So as we continue our sermon series today on Exodus, we come to this passage of Scripture where God finally reveals Himself. I mean finally reveals Himself to the people of Israel. We call this a theophany, where God shows up and makes His presence known. Of course, God has been making His presence known all throughout the book of Exodus. We've been reading it together all summer, and we've seen God show up. But the Israelites tend to overlook it. Well, they either overlook it or they have some serious short-term memory issues. Now, we've seen God make himself known through the ten plagues that he established in, in Egypt to help change Pharaoh's mind to lead them out. We've seen God show up when he parts the Red Sea so the Israelites can cross over safely to the other side. We've even seen God show up in providing their daily bread, their manna from heaven and quail to eat. Every single day, God provides them what is necessary to live in the desert, even water to drink. But this time, God truly makes himself known. In fact, God had foreshadowed this to Moses when he called Moses when he was in Midian to go back to Egypt and to lead the people out. We read that scripture just a few minutes ago. Moses encounters God through a burning bush that isn't consumed. And God speaks to Moses from within this bush, giving him his mission, and later tells him, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Well, this mountain happens to be Horeb or what we know as Mount Sinai. And this is where our scripture begins today. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Everything has now come full circle. God's promise to Moses is completely fulfilled. They have freed Lord's people from slavery, and now they are encamped at the base of Mount Sinai. So God calls Moses up to give him a message to give to the Israelites, and he tells him, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession." Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So Moses goes down the mountain and he relays God's message to the elders and to the people of Israel. And after hearing it, they vow to do everything that the Lord had said to them. You have to think about this kind of like a marriage. 
Just like a bride and groom exchange wedding vows together, God vows, okay, to make these people, these Israelites, whom he saved out of slavery, his treasured possession, his people, and that they will be witnesses to all of the nations of God's salvation and goodness. So Moses is serving sort of as the guest minister, so to speak, and he's standing before God and before the people, and he goes back to the people and says, the Lord has vowed to do this, and the people respond that we vow to obey everything that the Lord has said. This is a covenant, a love-life bond, a promise that is made between two parties, between God and between the people of Israel. Then the Lord tells Moses that he's going to come down to them in a dense cloud so that the people of Israel will hear him speaking with Moses and that they will finally put their trust in Moses as their leader. Moses has been leading them this whole time. They still don't trust him in everything that has gone on. So God instructs Moses to tell the people to get ready, to consecrate themselves, to purify themselves, to get ready for the Lord's coming. God will come in three days upon the mountain in a dense cloud. And God's arrival will be like no other. It requires them to get prepared to wash up and to get ready to meet the Lord. And God gives them strict instructions that no one is to approach the mountain or even touch it. If they do, they will be put to death. They are only allowed to approach the mountain when the ram's horn sounds a long blast. So on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. And Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire, and the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Just like Miss Aaron talked about closing your eyes and picturing the eagle, you have to close your eyes and picture this very dramatic scene. We've experienced storms in our life together, sometimes some very scary storms that kind of freak us out, make us a little scared. Or maybe you have animals at home that crawl under the bed and hide anytime a storm comes. Well, a storm comes on that mountain and they see it. Lightning, thunder, everything is shaking. God has shown up. It's very dramatic. And God appears before the people as fire on this mountain and they can't see his face. Otherwise, they would surely die. God's glory and holiness would immediately kill this unholy people if they see God face to face. So God veils himself in fire, smoke, lightning, thunder. God has their undivided attention, and there's no denying that God is there. Moses had experienced God on this mountain a long time back as fire in a bush. And now the people of Israel experience the fire of God on the same mountain. And it's here that they experience the awe and the terror and the otherness of an untamed God. And they are afraid of God. And yet at the same time, they really shouldn't be, should they? They're scared to death. You see, I find that's the tension that we live in, the paradox that we live in in Scripture, the fear of God. 
Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We are smart to fear God. Even the Apostle Paul declares in 2 Corinthians 5, 11, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. <laughs> we try to teach people to fear the Lord too, because we fear the Lord. Fearing God is a biblical principle that can either paralyze us or keep us safe. So should we fear God as a tyrant who can smite us at any moment? Well, if you were to interview the people of Israel right after they experienced God on that mountain, they might tell you yes, but only because of the fear of the moment. The short answer is no. You must remember who God is. God is the one who graciously redeemed a people enslaved by an Egyptian tyrant. His wonders and his signs of his almighty power and his presence were never intended just to scare them to death, to make them follow, or to paralyze them with fear. No. You see, God wanted to show them his power to know that he was caring for them. He reminds us that he carried them on eagles' wings. And the truth is, there are people who fear the Lord and especially think that God is going to repay evil for our sins. Maybe you've felt this way before. It's a feeling that if we don't measure up to God, God will somehow come after us and get us. We think that we must do enough to keep God happy. And if we read the Bible more and more, maybe that will help. Or if we attend church more, maybe that will help. Or maybe if we serve others more, maybe that will help. And somehow we can satisfy God's wrath if we just do more. But I have to tell you that that is a heresy and that is not scriptural. That is not the truth. God didn't choose Israel because they were faithful. He chose them out of his grace. They weren't deserving of being redeemed, but God chose them anyway. God carried them on eagles' wings. You see, when the eagle leads its young out of its nest, it flies below them. It flies below them to prevent them from falling. And the truth is, this is what God does for Israel, and this is what God does for each and every single one of us. For in Jesus Christ, God comes to us face to face, It's the theophany of all theophanies, and he settles our fear of God's wrath once and for all by his death and his resurrection on the third day. And he consecrates us by the virtue of our relationship with him. And because of his great love and his grace, we have absolutely nothing to fear. But we should fear God too, right? That's what scripture teaches us. For the right fear of God provides safety for God's people. You see, when we truly understand the holiness and the goodness of God, we want to respond with a healthy fear of God. In other words, it's not that we fear God as a tyrant, but that we have a reverence for God. Out of awe, out of reverence, we want to please God, not because we'll somehow evade His wrath or earn His salvation, but out of gratitude for his goodness and his graciousness towards us. We want to obey God's commands because we see them as a safety net and not as a killjoy. You see, this episode at Mount Sinai, it goes on, and we'll talk about this more next Sunday, 
but it leads Moses to receive God's law. We call it the Ten Commandments. And these commandments will define the boundaries for God's people. These commandments are meant to be life-giving to those who obey them, preventing them from the trappings of sin and death. And yet, there are consequences for breaking them, and some people unfortunately always learn the hard way. But God's laws are meant to protect His people because He knows what is best for all of us. But so often, we think we know what's best, and we choose to ignore them. You see, I think that we live in the tension of fearing God for the wrong reasons and not fearing God for the right reasons. In other words, we either approach God as a high-voltage electric fence that if we touch Him, He will strike us dead— Or we approach God as if he's just our buddy and our pal. And when we do that, we lose a healthy fear of God by approaching the God of grace, thinking that we can do whatever we want to because God is a good God and he'll simply forgive us. In doing so, we treat God's grace as cheap. And I have to tell you, Jesus' death was very, very costly. When we lack reverence for God, we don't take God seriously enough. We don't worship for the right reasons. Instead, we come to get what we want out of it rather than what we give to the Lord. We don't really expect God to show up and speak to us, nor do we prepare ourselves even to encounter God. And we can take God's name in vain without even thinking about it and treat God like a cosmic vending machine. Just whatever we want, Lord, provide it. I'll just hit this button and make it happen. Because we want a God who's safe. But Exodus, Exodus reminds us that God is not safe. He's dangerous. He's powerful. He's majestic. He is holy. But he is also very, very good. Very good. In fact, God's much like an eagle. Nurturing his young and keeping them safe as they leave the nest, but he's also a fierce predator who attacks its prey. God is very much like a fire, purifying us from all of our impurities, but also dangerous to the touch. This is the God we serve, a God of judgment and a God of grace. And this God comes as fire and smoke on the mountain to Moses and the people of Israel And he comes to the prophet Elijah as a gentle whisper. And he comes in Jesus Christ as the light of the world, full of grace and truth. You see, the concept of fearing God is truly a biblical paradox because the Bible's most quoted command over 400 times throughout all of Scripture is do not fear or do not be afraid. Yet we have to have a healthy fear of the Lord of heaven and earth so that we may be faithful servants who seek to walk in God's ways. You see, I think what's important for us is that we have a right understanding of the fear of the Lord so that we fear God for all the right reasons. In fact, Peter Enns, an associate professor of Old Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary, I think sums it up best. He says this, he said, We fear him because he is good. We fear him because he is good. And we see his goodness because we fear him. We see his goodness 
because we fear him. My charge for all of us is that we would fear the Lord, not because we're paralyzed with fear, but because God is good all the time. And in doing so, we will see his goodness and graciousness each and every single day. In fact, the writer of Hebrews frames it this way, even thinking about what happens here on Mount Sinai. He says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Thankfulness. Thankfulness and gratitude lead us to worship God with the right fear, reverence, and awe. Friends, may we never lose this fear of the Lord as God's people. May we come to God's house expecting to meet with God. May we come to God's table expecting to experience the Lord's grace and mercy. May we always Serve the Lord with awe and reverence and holiness together. May it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.